Hey everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Climate Ready Podcast. This is Alex Maroner of the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation, again joined by my co-host and colleague, Ingrid Timbo. Hello listeners. This is the second half of a two-part episode focused on nature-based solutions and the practical ways in which we can better integrate ecosystems into long-term water management planning. In part one, we heard about Eco-Engineering Decision Scaling, or EADS, a new planning and design framework that works to reconcile ecological and human-centered water management objectives. In part two, we learn about how EADS is being applied through Mexico's National Water Reserves Program. Ninel Escobar of World Wildlife Fund Mexico joins us to talk about a new program designed to better understand the adaptation services of water reserves in Mexico. Later in the episode, we'll again be joined by Ted Grantham, our guest from part one, who has been leading the EADS application for this project. This is where theory meets practice, and on quite a large scale. Stay tuned to find out more. The Climate Ready Podcast is a product of AGWA, the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation an informal international network of water and climate professionals working to develop, enable, and mainstream climate change adaptation and mitigation practices within water resources management, decision-making processes, policies, and implementation. The Climate Ready podcast is made possible by funding from the World Bank Group. For more on the World Bank and its role in supporting climate adaptation efforts, visit www.worldbank.org. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Ninel Escobar of World Wildlife Fund, an international nonprofit conservation organization that works to safeguard wildlife habitat, promote food security, and contribute to a climate resilient world. Ninel works as a climate change adaptation coordinator in Mexico City, where she influences public policy to promote climate change adaptation. Welcome to the podcast, Ninel. Thank you, Alex. It's nice to be here. In the first part of this episode, we spoke with Dr. Ted Grantham, in large part, about nature-based solutions. So, Ninel, as someone who works in the climate adaptation field, I think it'd be interesting to hear what you think of this term. Well, for me, in practice, it's related to the management of the territory in the first place. The particular features of nature-based solutions is that they use nature, right? And uh, ideally, the management of these ecosystems and species uh, must be devoted to the well-being of people, but also for the well-being of those ecosystems and biodiversity. Well, one of the ideas behind these nature-based solutions that you just mentioned is the role in increasing systems resilience, a trending idea in climate adaptation and water management. What does resilience mean to you, and why is this concept so important nowadays? Climate change uh, requires a lot of resilience for human systems as well as natural systems. And for me, the best way to describe it is the ability of, of that systems to recover from disturbances. And these disturbances can come from climate conditions, for example, as a case with extreme weather events, but also with uh, slow onset events such as uh, the increasement of temperatures or other non-climate phenomena such as deforestation or land degradation. So for me, resilience is the ability to come back to the 
to the initial state or to maintain the structure and the functions and the services of the system itself. Well, with all that in mind, it seems really important to start bringing these environmental aspects into water management. And we hear you're doing just that by working with Mexico's National Water Commission, Conagua. Could you tell us a little bit more about this effort? Well, we started to work with Conagua about 10 years ago, analyzing the environmental benefits of protecting the hydrological cycle. And this was a very good entry point because Conagua has the responsibility, as you said, for the, for the water management in the whole country. And this institution itself face a lot of limitation to, to manage water in the country because of the water regulation in Mexico. So demonstrating those benefits for environmental purposes and at the end for the population and all the economic activities that use water was a very good point for, uh, for us to acknowledge uh, jointly that protect the hydrological cycle was beneficial for for Conagua itself. One key factor in that opens this relationship is that the thing that the fact that by law Conagua cannot deny what deny water permits for consumptive uses as long as there is water availability. So by protecting the, the hydrological cycle, they can recover the right of manage the water and preserve water for the environment. This was seen by them as a great opportunity to move forward in the water management agenda for sustainability. Nanel, your organization, World Wildlife Fund, is partnering with other institutions to study potential water reserves throughout Mexico. Could you take a minute to explain the idea and purpose behind these water reserves? Yes, uh, water reserves uh, is a legal instrument that protects a specific annual volume of surface water for environmental protection. The idea is that this volume must be equivalent to the environmental flow estimated for each river basin following a specific standard elaborated by WWF and CONAWA. So the idea is that water reserves reserves can be decreed along the country, ideally in all river basins in the country, but we started at the very beginning with a selected group of 189 river basins, but at the moment that uh, that group was increased until 300 river basins, which equals half or more than a half of the country surface. Okay, you're one step ahead of us here. In explaining the concept of water reserves, you mentioned Mexico's National Water Reserves Program. Can you explain this a little bit more? Like, for example, what are the goals of this program? The National Water Resource Program is a joint initiative uh, between CONAWA, the National Commi- Commission of Protected Areas, and WWF. It has three main goals. The first one is to establish a national system of water reserves. The second one is to demonstrate that water reserves ensure a healthy functioning of the water cycle, as well as environmental services they provide. And the third one is to build capacity in the implementation of e-flows, environmental flows, backed by the official national guidelines throughout the country. The program has been implementing for more than five years, and we plan to finish for all the selected river basins to be decreed until 2019. So you just mentioned the concept of environmental flows or e-flows, and it comes up quite a bit in this context. How would you describe environmental flows to our listeners? 
Well, environmental flows is defined as the quantity, timing, and quality of water flows uh, that are required to sustain freshwater and riparian or estuarine ecosystems and the human livelihoods that depends on those ecosystems. So this is the definition of the concept, but what is most difficult more than understand what it is, is to measure it because it de it depends a lot of the information you have. And there are many situations that you do not know very well how the how is the water cycle in different river basins. Bringing eFlows back into this water reserves program in part, it's about defining sustainable limits of water availability. Have you found it difficult to strike a balance when identifying amounts of water reserved for nature versus water reserved for human uses? Yes, because um, many people, many politicians, or even technical people tend to think that, that preserving water for environment is another water use. And uh, we were very... Um, concerns is the beginning to not give this idea to the people because water reserves are not an, an, an additional use it's actually the enable condition for the ecosystems to provide the water for the other for, for the consumptive uses so the challenge when we developed the program was to to ensure and to be sure that people understand this idea that that water for the environment is not is not an additional use, but instead it is uh, the naval volume of water that nature needs to needs to provide water for the rest of the uses. So that really it's it's not a competition, uh, I guess, of setting aside water for nature versus for human. It's you really kind of need one to have the other. Exactly. So it's for the benefit of all to preserve this water. The thing that helps a lot to the program was that we provide a lot of evidence, science-based evidence of the benefits of water reserves. So this information gives us the, the resources to convince people that can be uh, not so sure of backing the National Water Reserves Program. When talking with consumers or when explaining the water reserves program, it must be hugely important to demonstrate the environmental benefits of this program. But even beyond that, there are some important climate adaptation benefits as well. How would you characterize the adaptation services provided by water reserves? Well, the general idea of uh, reserve water for the environment is actually uh, very related to climate adaptations because it uh, it represents a volume of water that can buffer uh, different disturbances in the environment. So, for example, if you face a drought in a in a river basin that already has no water running in the river, the species and the people are already in stress, and when you have uh, these extreme water uh, situations, so they face even uh, riskier situation. So when you preserve like a baseline of environmental conditions and, and, the, and a basic healthy conditions for the ecosystems, they tend to respond better for disturbances. So the idea of buffer, I think it's, it's really important to have in mind when you think about climate adaptation. Well, Nanelle, you've given us a pretty good understanding of some of the adaptation benefits of these water reserves. We can go back to an earlier theme that you mentioned, though, the need for evidence demonstrating the effectiveness of the water reserves program. I know that there's been an ongoing project that includes Agua working on this topic. Could you tell us a little bit more about this effort? 
For more specific uh, adaptation services, we are conducting at the moment an analysis of trying to estimate what are the impacts of preserving uh, water reserves in reducing the drought risk and the water requirements for the wetlands. So for more details on this project, we're once again joined by Dr. Ted Grantham, who spoke with us in part one of this episode about nature-based solutions and eco-engineering decision scaling, or EADS. Ted has been a key member of Agua's team working with WWF Mexico on this project to quantify the adaptation services of Mexico's water reserves program. So, Ted, can you explain a bit more how you've used EADS in this context? Well, we're using this approach in a, in a couple of different ways. The first is that we're using this EADS approach to explore how the reserves might perform under um, alternative climate climate futures. In other words, Mexico has established these these water reserves in different river basins, and they've they've uh, set aside a certain volume of of water uh, for the environment. And using this approach, we can then determine the range of climate conditions under which we can actually achieve those environmental targets. The second way we're using EADS, which is, I think, the more, I guess, traditional way that we might use at EADS, is trying to understand how uh, these reserves might help us to achieve other management objectives. And specifically, we're interested in looking at how the establishment and you know, management of these reserves might actually help improve water security um, during times of water scarcity for people. So the idea here is, and, and the question that we're asking is, can these reserves actually provide climate adaptation benefits for society? When we establish these reserves, I guess we, we, we can assume that having and leaving water in these, these river systems and wetland systems are, are going to provide environmental benefits. But it's, I think, an open question as to how the existence of these reserves will actually benefit people. We have sort of some conceptual models or some theories on how that what that might look like. Uh, for example, uh, we know that many of these kind of the, the smaller, I guess, more more rural economies do rely on these natural environmental systems for 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 their drinking water needs, for their irrigation needs, for their protein through fisheries and aquaculture, for example. Um, so there clearly are these these strong connections and dependencies between the, the environmental and the human and the human systems, and we know those con- connections exist, but we haven't really explored that in a quantitative framework. And that's what we're really beginning to do with this project in Mexico, is to try to understand what the consequences or the implications um, of these reserves might be for people. I guess both both positive and potentially negative as well. And through that exploratory analysis, we, we might uh, lead to you know refinements of, of the way these reserves are, are designated and managed, and you know ideally uh, provide a model for other other countries or regions to pursue similar approaches. Well, I would assume that like most projects, there have been some challenges along the way. Have you run into any obstacles in your analysis? And if so, what lessons could you take away going forward for future applications of EADS? the case studies that we're exploring in Mexico, some basins, some river basins that we're analyzing, we have quite good data and others we have gaps. And so I think through this project, we're really 
learning about the limitations or the constraints on, on this approach and how the quality and the availability of data might constrain uh, what we can learn, I guess, about, about the way these systems work and, and, and how they might change uh, with, with the changing climate. After hearing from Ted about the Agua WWF Mexico and UNESCO IHP project, we return to our conversation with Nanel Escobar to discuss the future of the Water Reserves Program. So Nanel, we're curious about where all of this is leading. In light of the lessons you've learned from the ongoing EADS analysis, what are some of the next steps for the Water Reserves Program? Where do you see it heading? Actually, at the moment, uh, CONAGUA, WWF, and the National Commission of Protected Areas are very busy trying to define uh, the e-flows to be preserved in each river basins and uh, do the job to be decreed because water reserves uh, are presidential decrees. So there's a paperwork to be done. They require a study for, for each river basin, the estimation of the e-flows to be decreed, and actually the release of the decree itself. So we are on that train of finishing that work. We expect that at least uh, 150 river basin must be decreed in this administration, which ends at the end of the next year. And in three years and five years, what we are planning to do is to refine the program. With these studies that we are conducting at the moment, we're expecting to try to refine these uh, water degrees to simulate more precisely the e-flows and in the hydrological regime that must be followed in each river basin. And also we are working on building capacities in the Conagua staff and uh, CONAMP staff. Uh, in Conagua, we are focusing more on uh, on e-flows and the role of e-flows and how to measure it and how to to supervise it in the in in true basin. And for Con- for Conam, for the National Commission of Protected Areas, we are working with them in integrating the water reserves into the protected areas uh, management programs. With all these ongoing programs, Mexico is already leading the way when it comes to properly valuing and utilizing natural systems and water management. And it sounds like you have your work cut out for you in the next several years, too. Nanelle, it's been awesome hearing about the great work you all are doing, bringing ecosystems into your climate adaptation efforts at this really large national scale. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. Well, that's it for our special two-part episode on nature-based solutions. We want to thank both of our guests, Dr. Ted Grantham and Nanel Escobar, for introducing us to this topic and giving us some real-world examples of how these ecosystem-based water management principles are being implemented. Given the increasing popularity and diversification of these approaches, we'll almost certainly be returning to this topic in future episodes as well. As always, before we sign off, we want to briefly reflect on a couple of key themes from these episodes. One of the things that I think gives nature-based solutions in general, and the EADS framework in particular, such an important edge in terms of utility is its focus on process and approach as opposed to predicting specific future states and working backwards. We're not particularly good at forecasting exactly what future weather regimes will look like, and even less adept at doing so under climate change. Exactly, Alex which is why we should invest in planning and infrastructure that can be responsive to changing conditions and reduce the risk of projects that may fail or be difficult and costly to remove under new climate regimes. 
For example, as Ted pointed out, if we build a dam or levee for flood control management, we're stuck with it for 50 to 100 years or possibly even longer. But if we instead focus on ways to use the ecosystem to manage flow by reconnecting floodplains or by creating water retention basins in urban areas, there's greater flexibility built into the system should there be a need to change course, not to mention the fact that it's often a cheaper option in the long run. Ideally, well-designed nature-based solutions should provide both economic and environmental benefits under a range of future climate scenarios. But, as both of our guests highlighted, one of the major challenges to implementing and evaluating the success of these approaches is often a lack of good data. As Nanelle mentioned in her discussion of the National Water Reserves Program for Mexico, reliable data are key to understanding the correct quantity, timing, and quality of water needed to meet the required environmental flow conditions in each of the basins where she works. And as with any new or alternative approach, there's a strong need to demonstrate that these projects do in fact produce the desired objectives. Because learning and adapting are important outcomes of these approaches, data are also key to documenting how they could be adjusted or improved in the future. This is a perennial challenge in the best of conditions, but it's made even harder when working in river basins lacking reliable baseline or monitoring data. Ultimately, these nature-based approaches to water management help initiate important conversations about what outcomes we would like to see and the ways in which we can, or perhaps cannot, achieve them. To me, that is one of the most important benefits because, as Ted pointed out, too often traditional planning and design approaches don't account for the reality that our ecosystems have been profoundly and irreversibly altered, that even maintaining current conditions may be impossible under future climate scenarios. As a result, we must make difficult choices about which ecosystem features and services we wish to preserve and how we might make that happen. By using a framework like eco-engineering decision scaling, we can weigh the alternatives and work towards a robust, more realistic vision for the future. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you really enjoyed season one of the Climate Ready podcast. We've certainly had a lot of fun making it. We'll be back in a few weeks to kick off season two, so stay tuned. In the meantime, check out the new Climate Ready Facebook page where you can post your comments about any of the episodes and see some gorgeous pictures from WWF Mexico's National Water Reserves Program. You can find us on Facebook using at Climate Ready Podcast. Until next time. Climate Ready Podcast is produced by John Matthews of the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation. It is directed and edited by Alex Moroner.